about what God's opinion was about things, not your tradition, not your family, and not other people's opinion. And so we spent some time on that. So if you, how many of you haven't been here those two weeks? Just a few, just a few, yeah. So uh, if you weren't here for those, it might be good for you to get those. Well, this week, I want to talk about the next step in that, and the next week, I'm going to talk about your personal ministry. Unless th- things change, um, talk about you doing ministry and what it is and how it is and those sort of things. And uh, But this week, I want to talk about... Um, Brother Hagen has a book, and, and I'm going to cover parts of it, but not altogether. It talks about growing up spiritually and us locating ourselves kind of where we are and what stage of life that we're in. The title of today is Growth is Not Automatic. Growth is not automatic. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Now, when Keith went to Ramah, he was submersed in the Word. He was in school from 8 o'clock in the morning till 12 or 12.30, depending on what day it was. Then he'd leave that, and I think I told you, he'd go to prayer school from 1 to 2, and then he'd go, sharp shoes you got on there, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Caught my eye there. Um Don't show them to Dave. <laughs> he'd take them off of him, wouldn't he? Um, anyway, uh, he'd go to healing school from two to four or whatever. And sit there on the front row and listen to Brother Hagen. And uh, just, I mean, and then at night he'd come in. And we had a little apartment in what we called Shoot 'em Up Alley. The reason we called it Shoot 'em Up Alley is because... One night, we were getting ready to go to service on Sunday night. And we came out the front doors of our apartment, and the SWAT team was out there. And they said, get back inside. And we said, we can't get back inside. Keith's got to do music at church tonight. We didn't tell them that, but we thought that. And um, so we went out the back way and snuck around and kind of got out. But... What had happened was there was this little girl across the street that had got in with the motorcycle gang that lived next door, which had welcomed us properly when we entered the neighborhood. They had siphoned all the gas out of all of our vehicles. And um, right next door to us on the other side was a school of metaphysics. And, um, yeah, we lived in a nice neighborhood. (laughs) It's all we could afford. And um, so... We'd come in at night and we'd just lock all of our doors and he'd get in his little desk there. It was a, in olden days they called them shotgun houses. Well, it was a shotgun apartment. It just went straight through. Yeah, just straight through. And the kitchen, then the living room, then the bedroom, then the bathroom. And um, he'd sit at his desk in the living room and he'd want me to go back in the bedroom or someplace else so he could study. So it was kind of a on top of each other. But he studied. And he'd study till 2 or 3 in the morning. He'd say this often. He'd say, Phil, there's no shortage of places to go. There's just a real shortage of people that actually have something to say when they get there. 
And he'd study. And he'd study. And he'd study. And he did it for years. And he'd pray. And he'd study. And he'd have tapes going. And he'd study. And I was in that environment 24-7. There wasn't a TV going. We couldn't afford a TV. We were just wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. 24-7. But I was working. And I think... I thought I would be growing along with Keith because he was growing. Because we were kind of at the same level a little bit at that point. A little bit. But I thought because he was going to faith school and he'd come in and tell me about some of the stuff and he'd tell me about prayer school and he'd tell me about some of the things Brother Hagin said But he was sitting right in that anointing, and Brother Hagin would spit on him and say, Ain't that right, Keith? (laughs) That I thought I would just get it by osmosis. It would just get into me. Even though I wasn't doing those things. I was focused on bringing the money in, which was vitally important. He couldn't do what he was doing if I wasn't doing what I was doing. But it didn't negate the fact that I needed to be doing some of it too. So through the years, what began to happen was we began to start veering apart a little bit. Because he began to grow spiritually, and I didn't begin to grow spiritually. And he began to care about different things than I began to care about. And it caused some problems. Because I didn't want him studying all the time. I want him to pay a little bit of attention to me sometimes. And I didn't want him spending 24-7 focused on that. For instance, after he had been there at Ramah for a few years, a couple of the teachers quit. They came to him and said, you have six new courses next year. This was in May. School starts in September. I didn't see him. Kind of like now. (laughs) People think that serving God is doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. They think getting all of God's benefits and all of His blessings is you get to pick and choose 
what, when, how, how much you want to do what you want to do. But when Jesus becomes your Lord, you no longer decide what is priority in your life. Because He is priority in your life. And that caused a rift between Keith and I. Again, you remember I was the one that got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and God was the most important thing to me for a week or a month. But I quit. And Keith started feeding and I wasn't feeding. And when you pull away from God, your vision gets different. Your priorities become different. Your life becomes different. You actually begin to go down a different path completely than what you would have gone down. You start, you start talking with different people and talking about different things. And I started wanting to hang with the girl that I worked with and didn't go to church during all the first of the meetings and stuff. But thank God for somebody that cared about me enough to help me get back on course. And I can stand here before you today and tell you, there is absolutely not one thing that I changed in my life that was good. Except for I didn't realize how much flesh it was. When I started doing the things that God wanted me to do, my joy changed. I had peace that I didn't know. My family situation started straightening out. My problems with Keith just went away like the melted snow. Like they didn't even exist. Our money problems, non-existent. So I look back on it and I think, what were you holding on to so tight? Afraid you were going to lose your identity. Afraid you were going to lose who you were to God. God already knows who you are and what you're doing. When you give your whole self to God, it's like choosing. Let's see. What is that rice stuff that they give in in poverty-stricken countries? You know, just in a bowl, they pour that stuff in that bowl. Porridge, some kind of something or another. It's like eating that every day. Or what's your favorite meal? Steak and baked potatoes, Mexican, whatever your favorite meal is, that sushi, some of you, whatever your favorite meal is. Being Being able to eat, it's choosing that life over being able to go to a five-star restaurant every single day and living in 
It's like living in their lifestyle or living in a million-dollar mansion every day. That's what you're choosing. And that's why the devil so desires. That's why he so paints you this picture. That's why he so presses us. That's why he so pressed me. Hold on to this with everything you've got. Don't turn loose of your identity. Don't turn loose of your life to God. Don't do it no matter what you do. Don't turn loose of it. Don't give yourself wholly to God no matter what you do. Because he doesn't want a whole world full of people that knows how good God is. He wants a world full of people that wants to hold on to what they want and what they believe and what their lifestyle is and the things they need and the things they want. He does not want a whole world full of people wholly committed to God. He doesn't. That's why Paul said... I reckon myself as dead. I put my flesh under every single day. For the life I can live for Christ. Because he knew. He knew the difference. And every time you think about these things with your flesh that you're holding on to, you should think about, you can't even imagine. I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine. If you would have told me where we would be today, flying in jet airplanes and living in houses that we live in, I'd have told you, you're the biggest fool I've ever seen in your... That will never happen for me. I was living in a trailer with no heat, no stove, no oven, no insulation, in my mother-in-law and father-in-law's front yard. With Zippo. Nothing. A car that would break down every time you went anywhere in it. And I moved from there to shoot him up alley. <laughs> With furniture. That the sofa didn't even have legs. It had cans. Green beans. Corn. <laughs> for legs. And it had a quilt over it because you couldn't sit on the sofa. You didn't know what had happened on that sofa before you. (laughs) And the chairs at the table that were in there, I put towels over because mm, I didn't know what had happened on them either. And the carpet... I got throw rugs and put over the carpet because you didn't want them. Keith and I didn't start where we are. We didn't start driving what we're driving. We started with nothing. I think my first paycheck was like $68. And it wasn't until... We gave him our all. What would I have been holding on to? 
I remember one piece of furniture that we got that somebody from Rama gave us was called the Rama Hand-Me-Down Sofa. It had been through so many people at Rama. It had, I bet it had been through a hundred people passing down from person to person. It was bright burnt orange. And the reason that I tell you these things is because the devil wants you to hold on to that. He doesn't want you to turn loose of all those things. He wants you to do your life and your way and never turn loose of them. Only think about what you want. Never focus on what God wants. Never be willing to give up anything for God or any extra for God because you won't ever get any extra. So let's look at these things. Look at this verse with me. 1 Corinthians 6.20. King James. It says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Young's Literal says, For you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How many of your Bibles out there just say, glorify God in your body? Look at the hand. Raise them up high so everybody can see. Why, why um, Why would they take out your spirit? Because they don't believe in it. Glorify God in your body. That means you don't get to do what you want to with your body. And glorify God with your spirit. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 7.23. I want to get into this other real quickly. I just want to read you these. You are bought with a price. Read that next part with me. Be not you the servants of men. Read it in the Amplified. Put the Amplified up there for me. Everybody can just look up at the screen. You were bought with a price, purchased with the precious and paid for by Christ. Then do not yield yourselves up to become, in your own estimation, slaves to men, but consider yourself a slave to Christ. If you're a slave to somebody, what does that mean? They own you. In olden days, they branded you. You couldn't leave their property. They owned you. But do you know what? God did for you. He gave you the paperwork back and said, serve me if you want to. He's not going to make you do it. He's not going to require that you do it. But it is our reasonable service. And not only that. It's what I was telling you. He would never require that we do anything. And that's why the devil tries to convince us not to do it. Because God 
has this wonderful, amazing, glorious, bountiful. I came that you may have life and life more to the full and overflowing. What did the thief come to do? How many of you could use a little less steal, kill, and destroy in your life? So wouldn't it be wise if you change sides? If you want a little less steal, kill, and destroy in your life, it's time that we spend less time with the steal, killer, and destroyer and more time with the, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Change your ratio, who you're spending the time with. That's what I had to do. I remember it vividly. I remember I was sick all the time. I was depressed all the time. I was whining all the time. I was upset with my husband all the time. I just wasn't very happy. I was complaining because I couldn't have my husband. I thought, is this what we moved out here for? I left my family. Which I didn't get along with my family, but that didn't help. Like I really didn't want to go back to my family, but anyway. How many of you are like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't. They're watching on the camera. I love you now. But you know what I'm talking about. It's just like it's, it's nonstop, one thing after another, after another. And you get yourself into this routine of everything is wrong. Everything is wrong with me. And you come in and you're just not a very happy person to be around. Do you know life is what you make it? <laughs> And if you want to stay on the devil's side and be depressed and broke and sad and sick and ornery and bitter all the days of your miserable life, guess what? It's your choice. You'll go to heaven. But God said this life could be good. This life. Do you know, I could show you on my phone to show you that I'm not exaggerating. Every day, no matter if it's 2 in the morning or 1 in the morning here or or middle of the night there or whatever, Keith and I have been talking three hours a day. We're best friends. We spend time talking to each other. We're talking about what's going on. I'm not mad at him anymore. And I look back now and I could kick myself for being such a pain in the butt when he was trying to get some word in him that he needed to be able to minister. That was one selfish person, don't you think? What if I would have convinced him to quit for me? What if I would have convinced him I ain't going to have it. I ain't going to have it. You spending 24 hours a day studying and preaching. You know, there's a lot of wives that do that. I ain't going to have you going on that mission trip. I ain't going to have it being gone. You being gone a month. I ain't going to have it. 
I am more important than that. Do you know that I am going to stand before the Lord just like He's going to stand before the Lord? And I don't want to stand before the Lord and Him say, Phyllis, you're judged for all the people that Keith didn't minister to. That would be sad, wouldn't it? What if I had have convinced him? You know, sometimes we can't see for the end of our nose. We need to think beyond ourselves sometime. So let's look further. I want us, 1 Peter 2, you don't even have to put it up there, says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. So in Brother Hagin's book, he gives a few examples of where people are spiritually. Because did you know spiritually there are phases in your lives just exactly like they are naturally? And it's very important that you locate yourself and not kid yourself where you are. Because all during that time, I was one big whiny baby. You'll see it, okay? The baby part of life is innocence. They're simple, they're full of faith, they're willing to learn, they have a teachable spirit. I was kind of like that spiritually. I wanted to learn some more of the Word, as opposed to an adult, a lot of them. We grow up some, and he says, um, now some of this, I'm not saying I'm reading directly from Brother Hagin's book, Growing Up Spiritually. You can get it. I would have brought the book with me today, but every time I had wit order me some more today, every time I order them, I give them away. So I had to get online and find it. Um, it's a know-it-all attitude. You can't tell me anything. It's Brother Hagin talking when, the, you, when you grow up. He said, those people no one can help, including God himself. He said, a baby... There's ignorance. Babies are ignorant concerning things. He said they'll crawl on the floor and they don't know what should go in their mouths, what should and shouldn't. He said they'll stick things in their mouth that are poisonous and it'll kill them. He said it's that way spiritually. People will listen to things that they shouldn't be listening to and it'll kill them. It'll get them off track. He said um, also irritability. He said... um, It's like the nursery in churches. Every single bottle is in use. He said the older babies are not giving up their bottles. Every bed in the nursery is taken. And the older babies refuse to quit going to the nursery. He said um, we ought to grow up spiritually instead of having someone come and visit us and pump us up and prop us up and pray with us and feed us. That's what I was doing with Keith. I wanted him to be with me and take care of me and focus on me. You hear that word? It's about me. Me. We have people. We have people. We've had that church in Branson now 16 years. I kid you not. Just last week, I think Dave was telling me. There's some people that he's tried to call them a half a dozen times or a dozen times. About a situation. They won't even answer the phone call because they got offended at him. Because he wouldn't bring them in and pray with them. Well, they've been there 16 years. It's about doggone time you learn how to pray after sitting in churches 16 years to be able to pray for yourself. 
said it. When a 16-year-old gets 16 years old, it's time for mama and daddy to quit feeding them. It would be a sad sight if you had a 16-year-old sitting at a table with a bottle. Now, wouldn't it? Now, there are situations that you do need to pray with somebody. I'm not saying you'd never pray with somebody. But most situations, you need to learn to hear from God for yourself. But the problem is people don't want to do it. They don't want to get in their prayer closet. They don't want to take the time away from that stinking box on their front of their face. And turn that remote off. And get in their prayer closet and find out what God says about it themselves. I don't know what God says about your situation. Unless I get in my prayer closet and find out what God says about the situation. Well, guess what? You can do that too. You know, as Catholics, we used to have to go to the priest to find out what God said. But I grew up and I found out I don't have to go to the priest to find out what God says. I can go directly to God for myself. And I can find out what he's telling me directly for myself. And the more you do it, the stronger you get about hearing from him. And you shouldn't wait till you have a tragedy in your life to begin learning how to hear from him. Take that pacifier out of your mouth. Everybody just do it. Throw it on the ground. Yeah, that's a good one. Who did that? That's very good. Do it again. Yeah. Get that pacifier out of your mouth and just stomp it on the ground. That's the only way you grow up spiritually. Does a baby want to get rid of its pacifier? No. Does it whine? Yes. Does it cry? Yes. Does mama have to take it away anyway? Yes. Mama is taking away your pacifier. You got it? Get in your prayer closet and pray for yourself. So when a situation arises, you know how to handle it for yourself. Because what if I'd have gone with Keith and you had a situation? You need to learn how to hear from God for yourself. God is as close as you're, you're praying to Him. Lay in your bed at night. Pray. Talk to Him. Pray in the Spirit. Get your fellowship with Him. Quit being a little whiny baby that you got to have it your way. You going to put that pacifier back in your mouth? No, don't give it back. I ain't giving it back. You may call and say, pray with me. I'm going to say, no. Get in your prayer closet. If you call Dave, I'm going to say, no. Tell him, no more pacifier. Pray. You've been with us 16 years. Get in your own prayer closet. Now, if you're a baby and you just started coming six months ago or a year ago and you don't know too much or something, hey, have your pacifier. It's okay. Mama loves you. Be all right. Here's your bottle. Have some milk. Here, Mama, hold you for a little while. But when you've been here six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years, it gets doggone time that you can find a scripture for yourself and pray for yourself. 
Okay? Uh, no more babies. All right? So we're not going to just hop and send people just to pray for you just because you had a whiny day. Stir yourself up. Okay? Childhood. All right? Unsteadiness. Children in the natural are unsteady. They're unreliable. They're impressionable. Um, spiritual children are the same way. You give them a task to do, a child, you say, take out your garbage, clean your room, get up. What do they do? I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Johnny didn't do his. Susie didn't do theirs. My friends are here. I want to go play. My favorite TV show's coming on. And if you're a bad parent, you'll let them get by with that. Now, is everybody listening? Branson in here. Put Branson on the screen. (laughs) If you are on a team, or if you're not on a team, if you are committed to doing something, don't you call me and say, I have to go and get... uh, this done today, or I have to go and get this done today, and we have to call six people to fill in for you. I may tell you okay. I may say okay. Mama may say okay. But then Mama may take away your privileges for a week. But God may not say okay. And you may have been believing for something. This is childhood state. When you make commitments to the Lord, what else are you committing to do to the Lord? Do you have other commitments you're doing to the Lord? Do you have other big things you're doing for the Lord? When you make a commitment to the Lord, just like a child is supposed to take out the trash, or just like a child is supposed to do something, this is childhood stage. Unless somebody died... You probably need to be there for your commitment. If you're supposed to sing or you're supposed to run a soundboard or you're supposed to run screens. or you're, Hey, the reason that I'm telling you these things is because some of you are believing God for some things. You're believing God for healings. You're believing God for finances. You're believing God for some stuff. And the devil has been rolling you over like a steamroller. And it's time you get the devil out of your life. You don't have to be a child anymore. Do children get the privileges that adults get? They don't get to do things adults get to do. They don't get to go places and have things that adults get to have. You're not going to give your your child a new car. God going to give you a new car? Not if you're a child. Huh? It's time we grow up. It's time we do what we know to do. Now, he's not going to hold stuff against you. It's not who he is. But your heart holds it against you. It knows better. Children. Okay? Unsteadiness. Do what you're supposed to do. Curiosity. It's a characteristic of a child. Children will be snoopy. They get into things they shouldn't get into. 
What I mean by that is, Brother Hagin wrote this. He wrote the other two. And he said all the other things that I said too. If you have commitments to serve in places at your church, don't say, he said it olden times. Let me tell you what he said. Go get his book. He said, if somebody asks you to sing, don't say, oh, my throat's a little rough today. You ever heard that? All this, all that. How many of you heard that when you grew up in church? Reasons why you can't do it. If somebody asks you to do something in church, you should be ready and willing to do something for the Lord. Without excuses. Read his book. Curiosity. He says, spirit, he said, um, they want, children want to look in the closet. They want to know what's there. Christmas present, they want to try to see what's in them. Um, spiritual children are the same way. Now I'm reading what he wrote. They're always poking their noses in everybody else's business. The Word teaches us to tender our own business. God doesn't want you poking your noses in other people's business. It tells you to learn to be quiet and tend to your own business and not judge others. Now, I'm not going to remind you what stage this is because I think you know. It says, I guess I will, childhood. Childhood. We shouldn't be poking our nose in other people's business all the time. We should have, we should be so busy, I don't have time to poke my nose in other people's business. I got plenty to do. See, that is, you can, can you tell how quiet it's getting in here? You shouldn't get that quiet, guys. People are going to start placing you. Yeah, you start going, yes, amen, go, yeah. Wait till we get to adulthood to get quiet, you know. Don't let people start placing you, you know. I want us to grow up. I want you to have... I don't feel like that we should have one thing more than you have. I don't feel like the Bible, anywhere in it says ministers are to have this and their congregations should not. Nowhere in it does it. Not one scripture. What I do find is, be holy as I'm holy. And the more you do for him, honor me and I will honor you. And I think we could step up and it's not about money. It's about not being in misery every day of your life and being bitter and hurting not like I was all those years. I don't want you being that way. I want you to be happy and full of joy. And enjoy this life. Okay? The next one. It's a good thing I've grown up a little bit. Maybe you could flip-flop between stages, huh? Talkativeness. Children have never learned the value of silence. They're talkative. And you'll find that folks in the childhood stage of spiritual growth are nearly always talking. And mostly always talking about. Did you know the word of God says something along this line? It tells us in the multitude of words, there wants not sin. Okay, then the next one. I added this section. Because I think we have an enormous amount of people in this section. It's not in Brother Hagin's book, I'll tell you ahead of time. I added it. But after pastoring as long as we have... 
I see it a lot. The teenage years. The youth years. After being with youth as long as I was, I see it in adults a lot. I see secretiveness in adults. They're secretive with their mate. They're secretive with their pastor. They try to hide things from the other people around them because they're ashamed of knowing that they shouldn't be doing it. So they become secretive. They go places that they shouldn't. They leave their place ahead of time because they think they know more than they do. They hang around people that they shouldn't be hanging around. Does that sound like teens to you? Because they think they can handle it. Here's a good one. They know more than their parents do. They think their parents are old and dumb. They live on the edge of the boundaries. That's not only natural teens, that's spiritual teens. They think they can handle more than they can handle. And to me, the most formative time in a person's life is their teenage years. It's it's the time that a decision is made, whether spiritually or naturally. I think the devil puts the most pressure in a person's teenage years, spiritually and naturally. You see more affairs in teenage years, spiritually. You see more sex in teenage years, naturally. Because people put themselves in positions that they shouldn't be in to begin with. They think they can handle more than they can handle. Because the devil wants them then. Because to that point, they've not been very productive for the Lord, they've been growing. All these years, teenagers haven't decided what they're going to do with their life. They haven't decided where they're going to prosper for the Lord. They haven't decided their ministries. They haven't decided all the things they're going to do. It's the decision point in their life. Am I going forward for the Lord? Am I going to give Him my whole life? Am I going to college and going to be this? Same thing in a lot of Christians' lives. I am a firm believer that teenage years in spiritual life, God is dealing with people. Give this up and do this for me. Put this aside and do this for me. Give more time to me in your teenage years. And the devil puts all the pressure that he can put on you to keep you from doing it. To me, these are very sensitive years. Recognize them. 
See how quiet it is? Notice them if that's where you are. The next one, manhood, adulthood, manhood. Esteeming earthly things lightly are what do you really value in this life? Amen. You remember Moses, when he'd come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He learned what was more precious, wealth and money and titles and things or spiritual things. And he gave all that up for God. He gave all that up for God. And that's decisions that every person in this room has to make at some point in their lives. So many people pass the poverty test, but they don't pass the prosperity test. They're unwilling to give up everything they have for the Lord. Whether it's just a little trailer in their mother-in-law's front yard or an apartment in shoot 'em up Alley, they're willing to give it up. Prosperity can be nothing hardly, but it's still prosperity to you. It's everything you have, just like the widow's mites. Are you willing to give up everything you have for the Lord? That's what it takes to become an adult in the Lord. That's why the Lord said, many are called, few are chosen. Wide is the path, narrow is the way. Because so many people are unwilling to sacrifice anything for the Lord. That word, sacrifice, is almost like submission to women. They don't want to hear it. But you'll never give up anything for the Lord that He won't give it back to you so much more pressed down, shaken together, and running over better than you could ever think or, or want or desire. You don't even know what you desire. You don't even know what you like. You don't know. You don't. You don't know. He is the only one that really knows what you like. And if you give it all up to Him, He'd begin to show you. He'd begin to show you what kind of job you like. He'd begin to show you what kind of things you like in marriage. He'd begin to show you what kind of things you like with your family. He'd begin to show you where you like to live. He'd begin to show you all these things. But you've got to be willing to give up everything you got. That's what Moses did. And did God use him? What if he wouldn't have given it up? People assume, well, that was Moses. Moses was a man just like you, just like me. You hear these Bible stories and you want to magnify them and think, well, he had a special dispensation to be able to do that. No, he didn't. He killed somebody. He was just a man. He had nothing greater in him than you have in you. But he was willing. He was willing to do it for the Lord. Deadness to censure or praise. This is what Brother Hagin says. Immature Christians 
will feel slighted or puffed up if they're criticized or even imagine um, that they are. They are restless and uneasy and full of self-pity. On the other hand, if they're noticed, they're appreciated and they feel very lifted up and full of self-importance. Baby Christians are self-conscious and ever conscious of what others are thinking about them. They're tossed to and fro, childishly trying to be popular. The mature believer is ever God-conscious and ever conscious of what God's Word says about him or her. Because they are able to testify with Paul. It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or man's judgment. He is free to walk in the voice of his own convictions. He doesn't care about what people say about him. He cares about what God's opinion says about him. You know, it takes it a lot to be an adult or manhood for the Lord. A lot of people want to assume they're in spiritual manhood. Another one. Ability. To recognize God at work in a situation. Remember Joseph. All through his life, God was working in his life. And every time a situation arose, he recognized God working in his life. Think about Joseph. Again, a man like Moses. He was just a man. He could have gotten mad at every little thing. But he controlled his temper. He didn't get mad at everybody. He was able to control his feelings and his emotions. He loved in spite of how everyone treated him. And he didn't give place to lust no matter what happened in his life. People undressing and grabbing. He was strong enough to resist what the devil put in front of him. Where are you in those? Are you in the childhood state? See how quiet we are in here. Are you in the childhood state? The the baby state? The childhood state? The teen state? The adult state? People want God's very best. And some people actually get mad at him because supposedly they're standing for things and believing for things and have been standing. Some people come to us and they say, but I've been standing for 20 years. And God's been standing believing for you for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Who has the most patience? God doesn't keep stuff from us or hold things away from us. 
But what he does do is give you everything to enjoy. But when you don't do what your heart tells you to do, and God will place something in each and every person's heart that they're supposed to do. And when you don't do that, your heart condemns you. And you can push it out of your mind. But when you go to believe for something, it's the funniest thing. The devil has this really big screen and really vivid, clear video projector. And he puts it right back there in front of you. And he condemns you. And it makes it hard for you to believe what you're supposed to be believing for. Everything that you've done, he'll play it right off in front of you. Now you can resist him. Tell him to get behind you. Tell him to go away. All these things. But until you do what you know your heart is telling you to do, you have no confidence toward God. You have no confidence toward God. God is not holding anything back from us. Zero, zip, nothing. But the important factor is us having confidence toward God. He loves us. He wants to give us everything. Amen. But we have to have confidence toward Him. Let me tell you a scenario the Lord gave me. And we'll close with this. What would you think about a doctor? He went to school for the four years, got the basics in. He went to school another four years and got just general medicine in. He went to school another four years and got what he needed to be a brain surgeon. He did a surgery. They said it was extraordinary. But he came out of there and said, you know what, if I'm going to do brain surgery, I need to, do, need to know how to do heart surgery. So he went back to school another four years and became a great heart surgeon. Did an extraordinary heart surgery. Came out of heart surgery and said, you know what, if I'm going to do heart surgery, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of women that have problems too. I, I better learn how to be a, a female doctor. And uh, so he went back to school and became a female doctor. You adding up the years? said, you know what, I got that pretty good, but you know what, there's still a lot of areas I don't know about the body, you know, I, a lot of people could have problems with their back and, you know, their brain and, you know, the back, the spinal cord affects a lot of that stuff, so I need to go back to school and learn all about the spinal cord and the nerves and, and all that stuff, you know, and so he went back to school. And all these years... He's not making a dime. Matter of fact, he's racking up debt. And all this time, everybody's telling him, you need to at least start doing something, doing a little bit of practice, doing a little bit of something. Oh, no, I couldn't do that till I learned every single thing that there was to know about the body. i got to know everything about the eyes, the nose, the hips, the fingers. I got to know everything. I got to know everything about the body. I, I couldn't touch nobody. He does it fine with the teachers there, but 
He's not going to try to step out on his own to do anything. Do you know that's the way I'm going to say 85% of the body of Christ is? They keep getting fed. 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 They come to church, they get fed. They come to services, they get fed. They get tapes, they get fed. They get word, they get fed. They get this, they get fed. But man, if the devil throws something at them, they refuse to resist. They refuse to stand. They refuse to do anything that they have learned. They just want you to do it for them. It's time we grow up, guys. It's time that we start putting into practice everything that we know. It's time that we go back and we start taking these baby steps and start kicking the devil out of our lives. You people in this room, the people in Branson, have enough word in you. Any one of you could get up here and preach at any time. I know. The reason I know that is because we used to have youth preach-offs. Let me tell you how I know. The youth grew up in the church there in Branson. And we would have them when they were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. We would have youth preach-offs. And we would say, okay, we're going to have a youth preach off. I'm going to give you a topic. Joy is the topic. Peace is the topic for this week. So the five people that are preaching this week, preach on joy. Five people preaching next week, preach on peace. Five people preaching next week, preach on the Holy Spirit. Five people preaching next week, preach on whatever. They preach better than I do. And the reason that I know that you do it, you know it. Is because they're preaching it. So I know they know it. I know you know it. But that doesn't mean you're doing it. If you'd be doing it, the devil would have no place in your bodies. He would have no place in your finances. He would have no place in your marriage. He would have no place in your homes. It's time that we stand up. Stand up. And be who God has called you to be. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are no longer babies that need pacifiers in our mouths. We are people that God has called to accomplish what he's called to accomplish. You may never stand in a pulpit, but you should be able to run the devil off in your house. You should be able to pray over your baby and it get well. You should be able to take care of your finances and them get better. It's time we take that step and go, yeah. (laughs) And get out of babyhood, get into childhood, and then take the next steps. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand up with me. We're a-growing in here.